And welcome to this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Ace McKay. Want to first and foremost say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms today. Hopefully you got a day of chill and rest. And a great way to do that is by checking out some of the great podcasts that are available at EWTNRadio.net. So as we encourage you this week, give you the sparks you need, this week on the Catholic MomCast, our roundtable with Maria Allison and Barb is really giving us ideas of how we can honor mom for Mother's Day weekend. So as you look for ideas to do that, we're going to dive right into Catholic MomCast on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Welcome to the Catholic MomCast. Join us each week as our friends from CatholicMom.com and special guests gather to chat about all things faith, family, and fun. From the latest news in our community to the latest trends in our homes, we invite you to join the conversation. Welcome to the Catholic MomCast. Hello, I'm Maria Johnson, Hispanic editor at CatholicMom.com, and today I'm joined by Barb Shiskewitz, Catholic Mom editor, and Bailey Westerland from our marketing team, and we'll be celebrating mothers in this special Mother's Day episode. Hello, ladies. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. I'm doing fabulous. How about you, Barb? Are you hiding in a corner? I am not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Doing just fine, thank you. Oh my gosh, you know that your fans love it when you come on to the MomCast. Uh, We're going to be doing uh, a little talk, I guess, a little roundtable about Mother's Day in May. And um, we're not all mothers, but we're certainly all daughters. Um, How will you be honoring or remembering your own moms this Mother's Day, Bailey? So usually um, I'm very close with my grandmother. I call her Mimi and um, my mom as well. And so I like to get um, baskets for both of them and put some of their favorite things in there. So like for my mom, I'll get like a coffee mug and I'll set them up really cute. So when when my mom comes over on on Mother's Day, she can walk in and see that and kind of be spoiled. Um, you know, both of them have spoiled me over the years. So we'll do that. We'll go to church, all that fun stuff. Oh my gosh. That sounds so sweet. Barb, how about you? What's up with you? I don't have plans yet. I need to make them. Um, (laughs) my mom lives, uh, more than two hours away. So it's always, uh, an adventure. You know, if you're going to go, you're going to spend the day. So I need to find out, you know, if, if she's made plans or if she would welcome a visit. So, um, but I do already have her present, which I'm not going to reveal because it's a secret. Oh, that's a good idea. I, um, I'm going to have a visit with my mom this weekend in anticipation of mother's day. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I just love spending time with my mom because she lives so far away and she's also entering into this new season of dementia, which has been kind of a challenge, um, for my sister, who's, who's her primary caregiver, but also kind of rough on me because I don't see her as often as I'd like to. And, and just the decline has been a little difficult to deal with. Um, but that doesn't stop me from loving on her and celebrating with her. So we're probably going to just do a lot of really neat activities. You know, she likes to go out and see things and boy, does she enjoy food. (laughs) So we'll be (laughs) celebrating with some of her favorite things. Um, uh, you know, um, I'm also kind of remembering my mother-in-law who passed away a few years ago. 
So um, we have a beautiful garden in, in our church where we've set up actually a memorial for her. So we'll be putting some new flowers out and, and uh, you know, enjoying the day rather quietly um, with my husband. Um, but that's what the plan is, you know, celebrating our moms who are living and remembering those who have passed away and, and are celebrating in heaven, hopefully, with, with our blessed mother, don't you think? So what is your ideal day, Barb? for Mother's Day. You've, you've got grown kids now. They can certainly take you out to dinner or spoil you. Hint, hint. I Barb's don't kids. know how many. <laughs> I don't know how many of my kids I will see. Oh. Um, one of them's a nurse and she works weekends. Um, and when she's not working, she's sleeping on weekends. So um, I, I might only see one kid. But usually the plan for Mother's Day is I get to cook anything I want and I don't have to clean up any of the mess I make while I'm cooking. Wow. Nice. So that's yes. kind of a win for me. I like that that's, idea. That's, uh, that's something I enjoy doing. So if, if we're not out of town visiting my own mom, um, then that's what will happen. Oh, that's great. I, um, you know, my mom's visiting here. All three of my kids are going to be here in the next day um, for a big celebration. Actually, the, the whole family is coming up. I'm going to be celebrating with my kids because we have uh, a graduation this weekend. My niece is graduating from college. And so we're having a really good time. Uh, it started off with just a couple of people coming and then everybody was like, oh, gosh, We'll just rent a big old Airbnb down on the beach, and uh, we'll see you at some point. So, so we're gonna do, we're gonna do the big graduation on one day, and then we're gonna do Mother's Day the next day because all the moms are gonna be together. So that's ideal. Um, that's so I great. think that my perfect, my perfect Mother's Day is if my kids are around. Um, I I do like this idea of I get to cook my favorite meal and not have to clean it up. Though I'm gonna chalk that one up for uh for future references there barb yeah all the moms must be taking notes on that one barb <laughs> that's a pretty good idea i mean right, not well, everybody wants to cook but i definitely don't like cleaning the mess up do you like but do you like cooking don't you i love cooking yeah uh, but it's up. just the it's the cleanup part that gets me and sometimes i'll you know choose not to cook something because I don't feel like dealing with the aftermath. Oh man, I, I have really enjoyed cooking more often now these days. And mm -hmm. I really enjoy cooking for my kids. I really enjoy cooking their favorite meals. Um, and in very recent years, they have been uh, also enjoying cooking for us, which is a really cool Aww. thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Just having adult children is, uh, is really a neat, um, a neat part of uh, our growing relationships with them. So I'm going to throw this back at Bailey for a moment because you're getting married very soon, aren't you? Yes, in 37 days. Oh, <laughs> 37 wake-ups. <laughs> 37 wake-ups to June 10th. But wow. who's counting? That's so exciting. <laughs> and you're going to have a mother-in-law. I am. I am. 
So um, it's so funny because we look in the media or on TV shows and it's kind of like this scary, like, oh no, my mother-in-law is coming over, like I'm sick or something crazy like that. Um, and I have just the most wonderful relationship with my future mother-in-law. Um, I feel like she's just accepted me so much, um, like as her own daughter. Um, and we've just gotten so close over the past uh, couple of years and I can't like I just see her as a second mother um and I think what's it's really helpful like if you know you're listening and um you might be getting married and you're gonna have a mother-in-law I think it's important to remember like we need to honor that relationship because we love our future husband or our husband and we need to make sure that that um our mother-in-laws feel respected and loved no matter what the relationship is um because we want to you know, spread love and not, you know, uh, kind of get into that stereotype of the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law kind of relationship. Oh, gosh, that's so beautiful. And I'm so glad to hear that that's really that that's your attitude going into it. Um, I'm a mother-in-law. And, and I think that, that I'm just, you know, I'd hate to think that, you know, that my, my in-laws would think that I was, you know, that terrible, creepy person that uh, everybody <laughs> rolls their eyes at. <laughs> Although at any given moment they might be rolling their eyes at me, but uh, but hopefully not not because they they dread having me around. But you're right about that relationship, and it goes both ways. You know, as a mm-hmm. as a daughter-in-law, you know, you're looking to your mother-in-law with with that respect, with that with that knowledge that that she she's your husband's mother, right? And and that, and that you're coming at it as a respectful. Uh, relationship but also as a mother-in-law like I look at I look at my in-laws and I think to myself you have married my child right Uh, Mm -hmm. I I love my child so much she loves you my in this particular case my son-in-law I I I just love you to death because I can see how much you love and respect my child so right. it's 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 that two-way relationship you know these are kind of, you, you don't choose you know you don't choose your in-laws your children mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so it's it's a it's a beautiful way to love your children and to love you know their spouses and to be respectful of them as an as an entity you know mm-hmm. um i i never impose myself or try not to impose myself um you know i try Right. Yep. I, I think try, it's important. Yeah, I try very hard to maintain a respectful relationship. These are adults and they and they are no longer a part of our household. You know, mm-hmm. you're starting off on yours. And so I think it's a great way to, you know, to have a conversation on Mother's Day that it's not just about mamas, but it's about all the different ways that we as women end up in mothering situations. Um, and so we talked about mothers-in-law. We've talked about our own moms. What are some other ways that you find yourself um, in in a role of motherhood or spiritual motherhood, uh, Barb? I think a lot of times that that comes in in sort of a, a mentorship situation where you know there's somebody who looks up to you for whatever reason, and you know they might ask your advice. Um, so you have an opportunity to, you know, care for them 
and um, give them advice and pray with them about whatever it is that they were questioning about. I love um, that you've incorporated prayer into that. Um, so much of what we do has to be done, especially in, even in our work as, as mentors, as writing mentors, right? Um, to always lead with love and to always lead with that respect of, of that relationship. And we can do a lot with that. You know, so much of our spiritual motherhood is really, I think, at the root modeling more than anything. Mm -hmm. um, Bailey, do you find yourself in, in, in the role of spiritual motherhood? Yeah, definitely. Um, two uh, different uh, scenarios come to mind, but the first is um, being in student ministry. So I've been in student ministry for four years, and anytime I have one of my, you know, middle school girls and I'm there, I kind of take on this role as a spiritual mother, um, especially when we, when we go to summer camp for a week and, you know, their mom's at home and I kind of have to be that comfort or, you know, um, that give them wisdom during that time. And so it's been really awesome to kind of step into that role. Um, but also I have a little brother who's almost 11 years younger than me. And, um, just getting to watch him grow up from being a little baby to uh, being an 11 year old now um i kind of feel like his second mom um and so it's a it's a balance between you know guiding him spiritually in that kind of role and also being the fun sister but we definitely have a different relationship because of that age gap that's amazing i'm also 11 years older than my than my little sister and um, for, for a long time, she was like a baby doll, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I did become that fun sister. But, you know, if you wait another 10 years and they'll come really quickly, having an adult relationship with, with, with that young, young sibling is also such an amazing joy. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking, she's, she's going to be here uh, tomorrow. And one of the things that we've already set aside is, leave everybody else we're going to walk to the end of our pier and enjoy a glass of wine together oh, you know nice. sister to sister so it's so beautiful to actually grow and um and i think that i was in, in many ways also like a spiritual mother to a lot of her her classmates her little friends because i i would pick her up from parties or take her to parties or take them to things and so i i now have a relationship with these adult women too and it's really it's really cool to to shift i think from from that mothering kind of relationship now to a just just peers you know because after a while you know age doesn't uh doesn't really matter anymore yeah that's pretty cool all right well what um what are you guys uh doing this month the month of mary um in terms of your relationship with our with our spiritual mother our heavenly mother the blessed mother what um how does that look for you maybe i'll go first and 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 let you know that um i have uh the joy of being right next to our church i literally walk out my driveway cross the street and i'm at the church and so our pastor has kind of teased me a little bit about um about being the second rectory <laughs> and a lot of people will come over and, and knock on our door if they couldn't find him, which is kind of funny, but that's what you get in a small community. But one of the things that I've done is that for me, my turn to clean the church is the month of May. And 
I, I, I treat it as a gift to Mary to, to clean the church. And then I'm the one that gets to pick out the flowers for the altar. So it, it's, a, it's a time where, you know, it takes a couple of hours to, it's a tiny church, but it still takes a couple of hours to do the kind of maintenance cleaning that we do. And it's, it's an opportunity for me to just pray and talk with her as if she were working side by side with me. She's present to me as I'm working, but it's almost like, it's, almost like it's bringing me closer in a, in a very physical way for me. How about, how about you guys? Um, Barb. Well, I think my relationship with Mary has changed, um, definitely changed since I became a mother because I think really before that I didn't get it very well. Um, and there, at that time, it was a, it was a thing to be, um, you know, that Mary was almost considered not as great of a model to emulate for some reason. Um, and that, that was, that was a trend and I didn't like it, but I couldn't tell you why. Um, it was, it was just kind of uncomfortable. But after I became a mother, I feel like I appreciated Mary and her role and I allowed her more of a role in my own life. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. You know, I think that I can echo a little bit of that um, feeling in, in my youth. I, I grew up in the Bible Belt in the, in the South. And so in many cases, we were the only Catholics and to be wearing a, a miraculous medal or to be, you know, seen with a rosary was suspicion and, and just oddity. And so it, it kind of made me a little, a little insecure. But I'll jump in with a funny story about Mary and, and me, if I, can, if I can take some time from you, Bailey. Absolutely. When, uh, when, when my kids were little, I used to coach basketball uh, in, a, in a Protestant league. And uh, it was a particular denomination known for its amazing extemporaneous prayer, which I cannot do. You never hear me say a prayer uh, extemporaneously because I just deer in the headlights. And we had to say the prayer every time that we opened one of the basketball games. And the coaches took turns. And I was avoiding it like the plague. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I knew it was going to happen. So what I did was I, sh I wrote this short prayer and I memorized it. And I just kind of had it in my back pocket any time that I should be called upon to, to have this you know, this prayer thrust upon me, because that's really how I felt about it. So I memorized this prayer and here comes the day that the coaches come over and they said, okay, Maria, you do today's prayer. And I'm like, Whoa, okay. And I launch into this prayer that I had memorized, but I was saying, I rehearsed it like it was sounding like it was coming out originally and everything. And then I was so into the role that when we were going to, you know, put our hands in the huddle and, and say, go, Right. I said, Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. <laughs> Dead silence. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a bit disastrous. <laughs> but there I am, I guess, uh, witnessing to the Blessed Mother in, uh, in all the corners of the earth. All right. Anyway, that was my story. So, Bailey, how is, how is your relationship with the Blessed Mother growing in this month of May? 
Well, it's actually funny. Um, Ryan and I are reading um, the new, Ryan is my fiance for everyone who doesn't know, but we're reading the New Testament in a year. And this month um, we've been reading Luke and just in Luke 1, there's so much good stuff about Mary and, you know, her response when the angel comes to her and asks, you know, says that God wants her to carry Jesus. And I just remember this verse, I think it's verse 38, and she just says, I am the Lord's servant. And I think we can just, just that simple line, we can take so much from her um, and just follow her example and remember that, um, we are first and foremost the Lord's and we are called to live in a way, you know, that serves him and others. And so it's been cool to kind of read through and, you know, she reflects upon all of these things it says in her heart. And so just remembering what God has done for us. That's what I've been learning this May. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And that's a good way to end this, uh, this episode. Um, I, I am the servant, right? I'm the Lord's servant. Um, what a beautiful, what a beautiful way to end it. Well, happy, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers, spiritual mothers, mothers-in-law, mothers of all forms and, and, and beauty. Thank you, as always, for being part of the Catholic MomCast. We love connecting with you here. Join us again next week when we will be back with an all-new show. See you then. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To join the conversation, please send your comments, ideas, or any feedback to editor at catholicmom.com. We welcome your reviews at your favorite podcast service to help us continue to improve and grow this community. The Catholic MomCast is a catholicmom.com production brought to you by Holy Cross Family Ministries with audio by Room 2 Productions. All rights reserved. Hopefully you got some great ideas of how to honor mom today for this Mother's Day as we continue. And, of course, you want to hear future episodes or previous episodes of Catholic MomCast. Remember, you can do that anytime on Podcast Central when you go to EWTNRadio.net. I'm Ace McCain. As we continue Catholics Coast to Coast, coming up after the break, we're going to continue our Easter season and really trying to compare our God's laws and love the same. And this week on Letters from Home as the St. Paul Center's Daily Scripture Reflections coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Letters from Home, a podcast from the St. Paul Center. Hi. I'm Emily Stimson Chapman, and I've teamed up with Scott Hahn to write a new children's book based on his best-selling book, Hail Holy Queen. Our book is called Mary, Mother of All, and it focuses on making the church's teachings about Mary understandable and engaging to our littlest Catholics. To learn more, please visit stpaulcenter.com. Hello, welcome back to Letters from Home. I'm Clem Harrell. Today is Saturday of the fourth week of Easter, 
It's May 6th, 2023. And today's gospel reading comes from John chapter 14. And it's this this dialogue, this exchange between Jesus and Philip, talking about the role of the Father. And there's this famous line which Jesus gives us. Uh, He says, if you know me, then you will also know my Father. And likewise, he says, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. And both these verses became very, very important in church history, church doctrine. Early on in the church, in the Arian debates, this debate over who exactly is Jesus? Is he God? Is he fully God? Is he just a really important man? And then later with Nestorius, you know, is he fully man? All these questions. And Arius says, look, Jesus is super, super important. He's divine. He's uh, given tons of authority. Uh, He's even God-like, but he's not fully God because he's still created. There's a time when he wasn't God, when he didn't exist. And against Arius, people like Alexander of Alexandria, people like Athanasius would point to verses like this to show the problem with Arius's position. And I had a class last semester, an early church class, uh, a class on the church fathers, where we went in a lot of detail talking about the Arian debate. And I want to just sort of share with you some of that, because I think it it helps kind of bring this gospel to light in a way. And what we were learning about is is the is the Arian controversy. And so Arius, uh, he's he's a priest. He's a, a member of the church community, very, very intelligent. And someone who, in a number of ways, is really trying to, uh, to do what he thinks is right. He's trying to defend what he considers to be a biblical understanding of the Trinity. And so he starts going around and says... Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a time uh, when the father was and the son was not. That there, there was a time when God, the father existed and the son hadn't come into being yet. And his reason for this is, is pretty simple. His reasoning is based on philosophical reasoning and it's also backed up, he thinks, by scripture. So what Arius says philosophically is he says, look, Jesus has to be one of two things. He either has to be uncaused or he has to be created. But he can't be uncaused because everyone says he comes from the Father. So he's definitely not uncaused, but that means he must be created, which means he's a creature just like the rest of us. Now, is he a especially great creature, especially grand creature, especially important creature? Sure. Arius is very happy to say he's all those things. In fact, he wants to say all these things. As my professor put it, Arius wants to say, Jesus comes as close as he can to being God without actually being God. Again, because he can't be God, because he's he's caused, he's not uncaused, uh, but he also uh, therefore has to be a creature. And so therefore he isn't God, even though he's a very important creature. And then by extension, Arius also points to scriptures and says, look, there's all these scriptures. Jesus says the father is greater than I. He says these different things which imply that he clearly isn't equal to the Father. He clearly isn't God in the same way the Father is. So Arius presents this very compelling argument, and a lot of people follow him. He becomes very popular in his teaching. And against him, we have his bishop, a guy called Alexander, who's from Alexandria. So he's Alexander of Alexandria. And he's faced with these arguments from Arius. And what does he do? And imagine, you know, this is this is the 300s. You have a, you have a, a undeveloped doctrine. You have a theology that could be 
uh, could go either way in a sense from his perspective is like, you know, we, we, we haven't established this for sure yet. There's no established orthodoxy on this question yet. Why don't I just roll over and go with what Arius has to say? I mean, his arguments are pretty good. He's got us in this, in this dilemma, like, well, we know the son is caused by the father, so therefore he can't be uncaused. So therefore, I guess he must be a creature because that's the only other option. He's got these scriptures on his side. Why not just go along with this? It's a question worth sitting with. And when you read Alexander's writings, and then it followed later by his, uh, his student Athanasius, what you find is this. The reason Alexander was willing to give up everything to defend the truth that Jesus is fully God is because he wants to maintain that fatherhood is essential to God's nature. Because here's the problem. If Jesus is a creature just like the rest of us, then it means there was a time when God was not father. And if there's a time when God was not father, then it means that fatherhood is only accidental to his nature. It's an attribute that can come and go. And Alexander said, absolutely not. Alexander said, fatherhood is part of the intrinsic essence of God from all eternity. Fatherhood is who God is. And so he broke the binary. He rejected the horns of the dilemma posed by Arius. He said, no, Jesus is not a creature just like the rest of us. And yes, there is a sense in which he's caused by the Father, but he's eternally caused by the Father. And that's where we get this language of only begotten. He is eternally, without beginning, being brought forth by the Father. And he gives the analogy of a sort of stamp into wax, that the two are simultaneous. The act of stamping and the impression being formed on the wax it's only an analogy, but it's something like the relation between father and son. Eternally, one proceeding from the other, such that the son is being caused by the father or he's proceeding from the father, perhaps more precisely, and that's happening from all eternity. And what this means and why it's so important is because we have to maintain that the father was always father. And that is the central doctrine, the unique doctrine of the Christian view of God. And so when we read this gospel today, talking about the role of the father and the son, we should bear that in mind and realize why Alexander thought it was so important not to go along with everyone around him. It would have been so easy to go along with Arius's very convincing vision, his good, clever arguments. But he said, no, there's something here worth defending, something here worth preserving. And so when we pray in the creed at mass, notice that creed that came out of this, 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 uh, this decision at the Council of Nicaea to reject Arianism, this creed which came from that. Notice how we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Even before he's named as creator, even before he's named as savior and redeemer, he is named Father. That is his essential, his most foundational title because it is his very essence. He is essentially Father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. He is that before else because he has from all eternity been father to the son and the son flows from the father without beginning and without end. So today, as we reflect on this gospel reading, 
perhaps we can be grateful to Alexander of Alexandria and to Athanasius as well for preserving this truth, this doctrine for us and teaching us something about the profound nature of God's inner Trinitarian life. Thank you very much for listening and God bless you. Thank you for listening to Letters from Home, the Scripture Reflections podcast from the St. Paul Center. Listen daily with reflections from Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. John Bergsma, Dr. Shane Owens, Ms. Joan Watson, and Mr. Clement Harold. Our production team includes technical director Rory Mitrick and producers Olivia Mosier and Joseph Palmer. Our mission at the St. Paul Center is to help you read Scripture from the heart of the church. Subscribe and share Letters from Home, as well as Dr. Scott Hahn's podcast, The Road to Emmaus, and Mrs. Kimberly Hahn's podcast, Beloved and Blessed. For more faith-based resources, books, and Bible studies, visit stpaulcenter.com. The Ascension wasn't a supernatural rocket launch. It was a liturgical event. It was the feast day when Jesus, our high priest, entered the heavenly sanctuary before us so that we could offer sacrifice in his temple. Where is that temple today? And what's our sacrifice? Find out next on Breaking the Bread. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us in his Father's house. His Father's house is no longer a temple made by human hands. It's the spiritual house of the church built on the living cornerstone of Christ's resurrected body. As St. Peter interprets the scriptures, Jesus is the stone destined to be rejected by men, the builders, but made the precious cornerstone of God's temple on earth and in heaven. Each of us is called to be a living stone in that temple. In this building of the Spirit, we are to be holy priests offering up spiritual sacrifices, all of our prayers, our works, our intentions to the living God. This is our lofty calling as Christians. This is why Christ led us out of the darkness of sin and death, just as Moses led Israel from bondage in Egypt. God's covenant with Israel made them a royal and priestly people who were to announce his praises. By our faith in Christ's new covenant, we have been made heirs of this chosen race, called to glorify the Father in the temple of our bodies. In this week's first reading, we see the spiritual house of the church being built up as the apostles consecrate seven deacons so that they can devote themselves more fully to the ministry of the word. The word of the Lord is upright and all his works trustworthy as we sing in our responsorial psalm so we can trust Jesus, the living word, when he tells us never to be troubled, but to believe that his word and works come from the Father. His word continues its work in the world through the church. In our Easter readings, we see its beginnings in Jerusalem. It is destined to spread with power and influence and to become the imperishable seed by which every heart is born anew. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com. 
or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. Our first reading continues through Acts, which we've been hearing since Easter, and we have this continuation of the adventures of Peter and the apostles. So this is the second time they've been taken in front of the Sanhedrin. Remember, Peter and John have already been taken in front of the Sanhedrin, and they told the Sanhedrin, it's impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. I, I love that line, which we heard a few days ago. I love that line because it, it, it should be a reminder to us, a call to us, uh, that are we living that way as well, that we can't but help speak. Like, we have to speak about what the Lord has done for us. I want that same missionary impulse in my life that I I can't help but speak of it. And now they're back. They've been arrested. The angel freed them. And now they're brought back in by a jealous Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, they just don't know what to do with these men. The number following them is, is rapidly growing. And what are they to do? Tomorrow, we'll hear the wise advice of Gamaliel. But today, we hear Peter repeat what he said the first time they were brought in. They have to obey God rather than men. And he proceeds to proclaim the kerygma, as Peter's done repeatedly already in Acts. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus, though you had killed him by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to grant Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things as is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So we have this testimony of Peter. We have a testimony. We are witnesses of these things. We hear that again and again, right? We are witnesses of these things. And so we are going to give testimony to these things. We see in the Gospel of John today that We have this testimony, not just of a person, but of the spirit. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. So don't we see this lived out then here in this first reading that Peter's testifying and not just Peter, but also the Holy Spirit. I'm really struck by these first chapters in Acts. We might begin to feel like Peter is a bit of a broken record. He keeps saying the same thing. Jesus is God. We killed him. He was raised. God exalted him for the forgiveness of sins. It's this summary of the gospel message, and it seems to be the only thing that Peter's able to say, right? There's a God. He invites us into relationship with him. We've rejected that. So he sent his son to die for us. That son rose from the dead and again invites us into that relationship. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. The gospel is simple and beautiful. And at times we can get distracted and and forget that. We forget that at its heart, the gospel is simple and beautiful. Peter is simply going to repeat this again and again until the people get it. He knows the power behind that simple message because he knows the Holy Spirit. And so he's speaking boldly in the Holy Spirit. Peter, who once denied Christ, is now facing the Sanhedrin, a Sanhedrin that wants to put him to death. But he's not afraid because he's filled with the Spirit. And as we see in the gospel, God doesn't ration his gift of the Spirit. He does not ration it. He wants to pour it out. That same Spirit given to Peter and the apostles is given to us in the sacramental life of the church, in baptism, 
in confirmation. And we should be calling down the spirit on our families, on our communities, on our church. Come Holy Spirit. God doesn't ration that gift. He wants to pour it out. We can get really wrapped up in in programming and planning in the church today. We can get wrapped up in writing mission statements and and making, you know, those five or 10 year outlooks. We can want to outline priorities and strategic plans, but I think we need to go back to the basics. Yes, theology is rich. The gospel's rich. Our faith is deep. Scripture is multi-layered and mysterious, but so is God. And God is simple and beautiful at the same time. The gospel is simple. The gospel is beautiful. And God wants to give us his spirit. I have to wonder what would happen in our church if we just went back to preaching the kerygma. Peter does it again and again and again. And look, he has wild success. I have to wonder what would happen if in our church today we called upon the spirit to descend upon our church. There's nothing wrong with strategic planning. But I think what we need more of is apostles and leaders willing to call upon the Spirit. What would happen if we were ready to receive the Spirit, as we see in the gospel? For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God. He does not ration his gift to the Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given everything over to him. Brothers and sisters, let us call upon the Spirit. Let us call upon God to send his spirit upon the church today, I think we would have amazing results more than any strategic plan if we were just open to what the spirit wanted to do. God bless. Letters from Home, a podcast from the St. Paul Center. Hi. I'm Dr. Nina Heremann, and I'm so excited for the St. Paul Center's new digital platform, Emmaus Academy. I'm leading a book study, delving deep into each chapter of my new book, A Thirst for the Spirit, Biblical Wisdom for Desert Times, and I hope you will join me on this journey. To learn more, go to stpaulcenter.com slash academy. Hi, I'm Scott Hahn, and I want to welcome you to Letters from Home, a podcast from the St. Paul Center, where we take a close look at the daily scripture readings for the Mass. Today is Monday, May 8th, the Monday of the fifth week of Easter, as we're drawing closer and closer to the celebration of Pentecost. And as by now you know, we're going through the Book of Acts continuously throughout the Easter season, as we do year after year. Now, what we have in our first reading, taken from Acts 14, is an episode that occurs in Paul's first missionary journey that basically covers from chapter 13 all the way to 14, and then the Jerusalem Council is convened in chapter 15 as the centerpiece of the entire book of Acts, because that is where Peter stands up and vindicates the gospel that Paul is preaching as the apostle to the Gentiles. And precisely because of this, what you have throughout Acts is somewhat surprisingly wave after wave of persecution, but it's Jewish persecution. When we hear the P word, we usually associate that with Rome. But in fact, the book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest in Acts 28, only because he freely made the appeal to Caesar, because he wanted to preach to Caesar's household, which he eventually does. So the book of Acts ends around 62 AD, and the first Roman persecution, the Neronian persecution, doesn't begin until the next year. 
And so what you find is that when Paul, who has converted as a former Pharisee, who was strict about excluding Gentiles and avoiding contact with your fellow Jews who had any close interaction with Gentiles, what's happening in Acts 14 is this attempt in Iconium by both the Gentiles, but especially the Jews. They're attacking and trying to stone Paul and Barnabas. So what do they do? Well, they're not masochists. They do what common sense would dictate. They fled to the towns of Lystra and Derby, and there they proclaimed the good news. But there, Paul also does something that should sound familiar. Because at Lystra, there was a crippled man, lame from birth, who had never walked, and he listened to Paul speaking, who looked intently at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out in a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And sure enough, this crippled man who had been lame from birth jumped up and began to walk around. Now, why do I say this should sound familiar? Because you go back to Acts chapter 3, and the only other person in all of the book of Acts who does something similar is Peter, who looked intent upon the crippled man there in the Jerusalem temple and said, rise and walk. And he did. And he began to praise and thank God so that this opened up the opportunity for Peter to preach the gospel in the Jerusalem temple, just as Paul seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel here. And yet it backfires for Paul in a way that's similar to how it backfired for Peter because he had to stand trial before the Sanhedrin in the very next chapter of Acts, chapter 4, for preaching without a license, you might say because not anybody can go into the temple and proclaim the gospel. I wish we could go back to look at Acts 4, because there is where they notice Peter's boldness. This is not some fisherman cowering before a servant woman denying the Lord. This is Peter's defense where he puts the Sanhedrin on trial. Well, as I said, something different happens here, because when they see what Paul has done, they begin to proclaim Paul and his companion Barnabas are gods, This is the risk that you take when you proclaim the gospel in a polytheistic and idolatrous culture like you had in Lystra and Iconium. So what do Barnabas and Paul do? They tear their garments, which is basically our way of saying, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. And so what Paul goes on to say is that, look, God over the last few centuries has, in a certain sense, born with the darkness and idolatry of the Gentiles, yet he's been bestowing his goodness, and he never left you without witness, because the heavens and the earth and the seasons all proclaim his goodness, but now is the time to renounce the paganism, the idolatry, the polytheism, and embrace the Lord God Almighty, whose Son has died and risen for you. And it's stunning to see what in fact happens, because there are so many converts, Now, curiously, our reading today from Acts 14 concludes in verse 18. But if you go on and just read the next three or four verses, you'll discover that the persecution finally caught up to Paul. And he's basically surrounded and stoned to death and left for dead. That's verse 19. That's not in today's reading, but you might want to take a close look at it. Because in the very next verse, 20, the disciples gathered around him and he rose up. Now, he's not just kind of wiping off his garment saying, wow, I'm glad that's over with. No, the word for rising up is the same word for resurrection. When you're stoned, it isn't pebbles, they're boulders. And so there is something semi-miraculous, and I might even drop the word semi, 
Later on, Paul will relate back to this experience in 2 Corinthians as he relates this experience that we might call an out-of-body experience, an after-death experience, but he was brought back to life, thank God. And then he returns to this town later in the chapter to basically say, you can't enter the kingdom without suffering persecution. And he probably had bruises and welts all over his body. He might have even been speaking with a slurred speech. But so appropriate is the responsorial for today, because it's taken from no less than Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give the glory. Not to Paul, not to Barnabas, and certainly not to Scott. And so this is who we are. This is why we praise and thank him. But this is why the more we praise the Lord, the more he fills us with his life. This is also the background for what we see in today's gospel. Foregrounded here is a passage from John 14, the farewell discourse. Jesus' longest sermon is the one that he gave privately on what we would call Holy Thursday in the upper room while instituting the Eucharist. John does not describe the institution of the Eucharist, however. I think he assumes his readers already know it from the Synoptic Gospels. But what he alone gives us is this extensive discourse that begins in John 13, runs all the way through 17, what we call the high priestly prayer in 17. But here in John 14, he says something that is really crucial and something that might be a little confusing. What is it? Jesus said to his disciples, whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. Now, why do I say that's sort of odd? I would propose that it's counterintuitive because we usually separate love from law. You know, law can be commanded and imposed upon people, but love can't unless it can. And of course it is. And we know that because when the people were asking Jesus what he considered to be the greatest commandment there in Matthew 22, what does he say? Well, he has 613 commandments in the law of Moses to choose from, but not all commandments are created equal. So what does he land upon? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your mind, heart, and strength. And then he adds, and your neighbor as yourself, but he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. We have divorced love from law, but what God has united, let no man put asunder. Because the logic of the law of God is not contractual, but covenantal. It's not a factory with a boss observing us to see how we've done to either hire us or fire us or promote us or whatever. No, this is a father who in a family wants to bestow more and more of his life upon us. And so Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my father. We might not be loved by people who work with us, who live in our neighborhood, but the fact is they don't define our identity. The Lord God Almighty does, and he is the Lord. He is a master. We are his servants, but far more than being our Lord and our master, he is our father. Allow his love revealed in Christ to define who you're going to be today, how you're going to see yourself, and how you're going to see others. Because you're not just loving a master as a slave does. You are loving Abba Father as a son or daughter who has been loved in a way that the world would consider madness. He is madly in love with us. Let's return the favor and be madly in love with him more and more and keep his commandments better and better 
and ask him for more and more of his mercy and grace so that we might grow up and mature and become holy. But the conclusion of the gospel reading reminds us that becoming holy is not about do-it-yourself. Saints are not self-made men and women. What Jesus does by way of reminder in John 14, 25, and 26 is this. I have told you all of this while I was with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't have a chance of becoming a saint. And even with the Holy Spirit, it's possible, but not easy, much less automatic. So let's implore the Lord of heaven and earth, God our Father, who sent his Son to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us and renew his covenant that we might grow up and become saints and nothing less. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Easter season. We thank you for the imminent arrival of Pentecost, and we are reminded of how we need the Holy Spirit and how much you long to give it to us even more than we we want you to. So help us now and hear us as we ask you to increase our faith, our hope, and our love by pouring out a whole new superabundance of your Spirit within us. And we ask this through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is overshadowed by the Spirit. Hail Mary! full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining me on this Monday of the fifth week of Easter. Until we meet again, may the Lord richly bless you. Thank you for listening to Letters from Home the Scripture Reflections podcast from the St. Paul Center. Listen daily with reflections from Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. John Bergsma, Dr. Shane Owens, Ms. Joan Watson, and Mr. Clement Harold. Our production team includes technical director Rory Mitrick and producers Olivia Mosier and Joseph Palmer. Our mission at the St. Paul Center is to help you read Scripture from the heart of the church. Subscribe and share Letters from Home, as well as Dr. Scott Hahn's podcast, The Road to Emmaus, and Mrs. Kimberly Hahn's podcast, Beloved and Blessed. For more faith-based resources, books, and Bible studies, visit stpaulcenter.com. Getting some great Easter reflections as we continue in our 50 days of Easter. Always great to be able to dive deeper into God's Word, and that's what all of our podcasts are for and in one location. When you get some time this week, you can do so at EWTNRadio.net. Click on the Podcast Central section and get tons of programs that can help to deepen your walk with God and your Catholic faith. And then again, we'll do it next Sunday and spotlight some of your favorite episodes and then also help you to spread the word as well. Have a great rest of your week. Again, happy Mother's Day. And remember to let God define who you are. I'm Ace McKay. I'll see you next week with Catholics Coast to Coast.